A reading from Mark. When the Sabbath was over, Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of James and Salome, brought spices so that they might go and anoint Jesus. And very early, on the first day of the week, when the sun had risen, they went to the tomb. They had been saying to one another, who will roll away the stone for us from the entrance to the tomb? When they looked up and saw that the stone, which was very large, had already been rolled back, as they entered the tomb, they saw a young man dressed in a white robe sitting on the right side, and they were alarmed. But he said to them, do not be alarmed. You were looking for Jesus of Nazareth, who was crucified. He has been raised. He is not here. Look, this is the place where they laid him. But go, tell his disciples and Peter that he is going ahead of you to Galilee. There you will see him, just as he told you. So they went out and fled the tomb, for terror and amazement had seized them. And they said nothing to anyone, for they were afraid. Let us pray. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of all our hearts be always acceptable in your sight, O God, our strength and our redeemer. Amen. So I want to begin this morning by asking a few questions of you, and this is going to be intentionally interactive, so I need for you to suspend any polite Episcopalian sensibilities about not being able to respond to the preacher ever so briefly. These questions are meant to design a collective universe which we as game participants have total control over. Together, we will actively design the kind of world in which we want to live. I will give you two options, a moment to weigh those options, and then the opportunity to cast a vote. Whichever option receives more votes wins, but this is a mutually exclusive situation. Once an option has failed to receive sufficient votes, that item is gone forever. The winning option will then be matched against another option with increasingly high stakes. Sounds complicated, but it's not, so we'll get started. <laughs> now, to get a sense of how folks feel in this online format, you can either use the chat box to cast your vote or physically raise your hand, and Annabelle's going to help me look and count your votes <laughs> in just a moment. So let's jump in. The first question is an easy one. Would you prefer that we live in a universe with pancakes or waffles? Waffles have the obvious advantage of the crispy little micro pockets that fill with butter and syrup, adding a more complex texture. Pancakes, on the other hand, can be fluffier than a cloud and melt in your mouth. Both bring about an opportunity for a diversity of delicious toppings. But remember, whichever one loses, will be banished from the universe forever. So, you guys ready? Who prefers that we live in a universe with pancakes? Raise your hand if you'd like pancakes. Okay, I've got three here in the house. How many pancakes do you count, Annabelle? One, two, three, four. <laughs> okay, all right, I've got four on the screen, so I've got a total of seven, and maybe Lisa, eight. Okay, I've got eight for pancakes. How many people want waffles? Okay, one, two, three, four. Those are my people, five, six. <laughs> Seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve, thirteen. Okay, waffles have it. Waffles win. No more pancakes in this universe. 
Now, if we were playing the game in the proper context around a fire pit together, the person sitting next to me would ask the next question and increase the stakes. But to keep us rolling, I'm going to give you the next question. So we now live in a world with no pancakes and a glorious supply of waffles. But would you value these brunch treasures over caffeinated beverages? Waffles or caffeinated beverages? Raise your hand for waffles. <laughs> Three, four, five, okay, okay. Six, seven, <laughs> okay, good. Caffeinated beverages? One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve. Okay, caffeinated beverages have that round. One final question. Caffeinated beverages or fresh vegetables? Now, by choosing fresh vegetables, this means not only do you have access to them, but their existence in our very planet is in question. So caffeinated beverages or fresh vegetables? Who would like the caffeinated beverages? <laughs> There's always a couple. <laughs> How about the fresh vegetables? Okay, fresh vegetables <laughs> wins by a landslide. So we now live in a world without pancakes and waffles and caffeinated beverages, but we have a glorious supply of fresh vegetables. I love this game for so many reasons. First, you get to know the people you are playing with for better or for worse very quickly. I still can't believe some of you chose pancakes over waffles, but that's okay. I'll get to the bottom of that later. Um, I also love this game because it forces conversations about the values we hold dear and why. Now, I started this out with very entry-level questions this morning, but as the game continues, it doesn't take long to make the impassioned case for matters that are central to your identity, your cultural values, and your religious beliefs. It is pure fiction to envision that we live in a world completely of our own design. However, it is true that our values deeply influence and shape how we live and the impact we choose to have in our small corner of the world. The game ends when someone offers an option that cannot be beat, no matter the opponent. The group of friends with whom I most frequently play this game with have gotten irritated with me because I repeatedly use the same option to end the game. Hope. I know, Lily. Hope is a good one. There is not a virtue that exceeds hope. In fact, hope informs our experience of all other virtues that are meaningful. Love, community, justice, faith. Each of those virtues would be diminished without hope to propel one forward when things look grim. The essence of our Christian story, the story of the hopefulness we find on Easter morning, sets the precedent for hope. It is the story that eclipses and informs all other stories thereafter. To be clear, Mark's retelling of the Easter story would never suffice for the most sophisticated consumers of stories, children. He writes, so they went out and fled from the tomb for terror and amazement had seized them. And they said nothing to anyone for they were afraid. 
any child will tell you that is a terrible ending to a good story, much less a hopeful story. There's no resolution. There's not an adequate response to their very real fears. Where was Jesus? And did anyone help these women to process what they had found? We are left hanging by a thread, wondering what became of Jesus and the women who discovered that he was not where they had laid him. All these years later, we know something that those women didn't know. Hope wins. Confronted with the absence of Jesus's body, terror and fear eclipsed the women's grief. They could only imagine that the worst had happened to him. But we know that he was raised from the dead. We know that they will soon encounter his resurrected body and be freed from their fears. But in this particular moment, as the light of Easter morning has just begun to rise, the women remind us once again of the mysterious gift of the empty tomb. Hope wins. It is indeed a strange thing to suggest that an empty vessel might be cause for hope. Yet here it is, in this cavernous emptiness of the tomb, that God's grace comes into focus. God's merciful and loving nature had been on display throughout Jesus's ministry, but the expansiveness of God's grace is fully realized in this vacuous moment. The empty tomb is cause for hope because it completely recalibrates our understandings of both time and relationship. God makes possible what once had seemed impossible. We are introduced to a savior who is not just focused on a particular group of people for a particular time, but all people for all time. To be clear, the hope found in the empty tomb is very different from naive optimism, which resides entirely on our shoulders. While optimism may serve a limited purpose, it never withstands the volatility of human nature. When pastoring at House for All Sinners and All Saints, the Reverend Nadia Bowles Weber greeted newcomers with this invitation. Welcome to House for All. We will disappoint you. <laughs> she writes, at those welcome brunches for newcomers, after we told them not to use idealism as a starting point, when we've been honest about how we will eventually disappoint them, we ask them to decide if they're going to stick around after that happens. Because if you leave, when we've disappointed you, you will miss the way God's grace fills in the cracks left behind from our brokenness. It's not something to be missed. Our role as Christians is to proclaim the hopeful emptiness of Jesus's tomb. In a world that continues to be filled with death, isolation, and hopelessness, we have a message that needs to be heard. This year, it strikes me that we have an opportunity to deliver that hopeful message in a way that is perhaps more aligned with that first Easter morning. The fanfare of our normal Easter celebration is muted, and truthfully, perhaps that is for the best. I'm not sure the world has been able to absorb all that we have been shouting at them. This week, Gallup released new data showing that for the first time since the late 1930s, Fewer than half of the American population says they belong to a church 
a synagogue, or a mosque. The alleluias and the glorious trumpet fanfares have not penetrated beyond the walls of our sanctuaries. The hopeful news of the empty tomb continues to pale in comparison to all other news that we have absorbed. And maybe that's on us. Maybe we've gotten our messaging wrong all along. The moment these women experienced at the tomb was not the end of the story, but the beginning of something. It's like the inbreaking of the dawn that doesn't immediately expel all darkness, but reminds viewers that the sun is on the rise. The empty tomb was more than it accomplished in that single moment. The absence of Jesus's crucified body made way for the possibility that there was another explanation. The absence of Jesus's body did not provide immediate answers or a sense of peace, but opened way for more questions. It is here, in the absence of finality, that the possibility of hope is born. The same is true of baptism. Baptism is more than it accomplishes in that moment. From a momentary action comes limitless possibilities. And that is the essence of hope. Hope points beyond itself to that which has yet to come to fruition. On Easter morning, all of humanity's problems are not solved. But we are given clarity that something new has begun and that hope will have the final word. This past year, when all has seemed lost on more than one occasion, hope has given us reason to consider again what might be possible. We are not living in a game or a paint-by-number world where we get to choose what creation looks like. Thank God. That has been taken care of by our merciful and loving Savior who endured the depths of hell, climbed out of the grave, and declared that something more was possible. As strange as it may seem, consider this morning that Easter Day is perhaps not an occasion for shouting alleluia, but for whispering that hope has not been lost. What happened at that empty tomb makes known the reality that more is possible than we ever dared to dream. And it's not something to be missed. Amen.